1: Unretirement. It's a term I hear more and more these days. And Chris Farrell literally wrote the book on it. A leading voice of the unretirement movement, he argues that humans have always found meaning and motivation in work and community. And that's a big reason why so many baby boomers have decided to once again seek at least some form of employment, even after they've technically retired once. After years of studying and reporting on the economy for PBS Next Avenue and Bloomberg Business Week, Chris's latest book, Purpose and Paycheck, further drives home the point that, at our core, humans have a deep need to be useful. And for some would-be retire sooner folks, there's an enduring drive to go back to the dignity of work. Even my baby boomer dad did it after 43 years of owning a veterinary practice. He sold it and he stopped working for four years. Well, now he's back doing surgery for one day a week. In today's episode, we dive into why so many retirees are embracing the unretirement lifestyle on their terms. We discuss their creative attempts to leverage career experience to carve new paths, like a nurse who was so passionate about the outdoors that she became an EMT for the national parks. Retirement equates to about 2,500 hours. Of newfound free time every year. And there's no reason some of it can't be spent in meaningful ways, earning a paycheck. So if you think of yourself as someone who may ever want to unretire or explore it, today's episode is for you. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. So Chris, welcome to the Retire Sooner podcast. Thank you for being here, man. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, look, you were talking about this before we were ever even thought about it, which is this thought around unretirement. And you're an economics guy, but you were at what you went to London School of Economics. So you're a are you an economist or did you
2: just study economics? Which one? I am not an economist. I'm definitely not an economist. I'm a journalist who covers economics. OK, but
1: do you have an economics degree, though.
2: No, I have a, a undergraduate degree in history and a master's degree from the London School of Economics in sociology. But Got my it. career okay. in journalism, which is about now 30 some odd years, has been covering economics.
1: Okay. So if we make fun of economists that are always wrong, you're not going to be offended then not because you're all. not an economist. Exactly. <laughs> 95% of economists called for recession in 2023, yet- no recession in sight, and we're already in October. So we, we only got two and a half months left or so yeah. to escape recession. <laughs> Knock on wood. I don't want to jinx it. Um, and I'm the same, by the way, Chris. I, I studied economics at uh, University of North Carolina, but I'm not a full-time economist. So yeah. so you've been covering and writing about unretirement. If you think about the last, through covid I always look at labor force participation rates and it was pretty clear that we had, if you looked at the 55 plus group, labor force participation, it went down by about 2 million people. Yeah. Right. And now, uh, which we thought, wow, maybe people really listen to the Retire Sooner podcast and, and lots of people are retiring. The, the The reality is obviously it was all the economic conditions and the and the ripples of the pandemic and what happened to the economy and people being kind of close to retirement anyway maybe pushing people over the edge a little bit mm-hmm. and then and then now according to labor force participation we're back to 3.7 we were at, we were at something like 37 million down to 35 back to 36 and a half so we we only are we've had if i read that in in some i read that to some extent is a a million and a half people have gone back to work Kind of, they've unretired. So I, I want to get your thoughts around that. Um, I had a a long time family I've worked with who retired a little early during COVID because he was ready to do it anyway, and now he's going back to work just just for fun. Yeah, he's going. He he actually is going to go back. There's an Ace Hardware near where he lives. He's a super handy guy. He sent once in a while. I get a picture of like a. Uh, an armoire that he'll make or something. So he's super handy. And he's like, I, I think I just, for fun, I want to go back to, I want to go back, I want to go work for Ace Hardware, 15 bucks an hour. Yeah. So tell me about that trend, what you've been witnessing. And then you wrote about this a long time ago before all of this happened.
2: So there's a there like all these major trends, there's a number of forces that are coming together to drive it forward. So one of the things is, you know, on average, it has to be on average. We're living longer, we're healthier, we're better educated, and uh, we also have a retirement system that has a lot of holes in it. And it's as you know, I mean, you know this very well. It's not that people don't save for retirement because they can't resist the mall. You know, life is hard kids get sick, you lose your job, there's a medical emergency, you're taking care of aging parents. And so a lot of people come near those traditional retirement years, and they don't have a whole lot of savings. They have some savings, but Mm -hmm. not a whole lot. And so if you work a few years longer, it really does help your household balance sheet. And as you know, it also makes it practical to delay filing for Social Security, and then you get a better Social Security benefit, at least up to age 70. But the aspect that I think is not paid enough attention to is that if you think about your career, all the ups and downs in your career, um, you've gained all this skill, this knowledge, this experience. And at our core, we all want to be useful. And so it's actually kind of a bizarre idea that you'll hit some age, you know, you can pick some arbitrary age, 60, 62, 64, whatever age you pick, that at some age, you're just going to say, that's it. I'm going to walk away from all this knowledge, all this skill, all this experience for the rest of my life. Now. It makes complete sense that you don't want to work 50 hours for 40 hours of pay. It can make completely mm-hmm. sense that you are just tired of the place that you've been at for a long period of time. And actually, you're going to be really happy to say goodbye to some of your colleagues. But that doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. that you don't want to continue to exercise your skills and your knowledge and your experience. And the other aspect of work that is underestimated in your Ace Hardware example is a good one. You know, you provide an income through work, right? That's how, that's how we make make our money. But the work is also a social institution. There are people there and you gossip, you talk, you share coffee. There are people you really like. There are people you really don't like. It's a community. (laughs) And when you look at the surveys that people who are retired, what do you most miss about your previous life? You know, Money's on that list, but it's actually reasonably far down. You know what's always on number one, number two? What's the what is number one? It is you miss the people you miss the colleagues, the community. Basically, you miss the community. You miss the colleagues, the vendors, uh going to the conferences, you know, the people that you interacted with, that's actually what people do uh, do miss. And it's so important in our society to have connections, to have a sense of community, to have a sense of belonging. And work just automatically provides that for many people. And therefore, this unretirement movement, um, I call my latest book Purpose in a Paycheck, because we really, as we get older, throughout life it matters, but as you get older, Purpose does become really important. You kind of want to feel good when you get up in the morning and that you're kind of making a difference. But at the same time, it's really nice to have some money coming in. Might be part-time, might be flexible money, might be working at Ace Hardware a couple of hours a week, whatever it is. May not be much money compared to what you earned before, but nonetheless, some money coming in, you know, that that provides some uh, financial relief and some, you know, st- relief from stress about money.
1: You know, I think about it as we miss the we miss the community and not the commute. Right. To some oh, extent. Yes. Exactly. Right. You know, we, we and and to your great, I think to your interesting point, and it's a I think it's a realistic point, is that there are plenty of people that we're we are happy to no longer work with. Right. Sure. But at the same time, so there's plenty of people we get to not work with anymore. But then to some extent, there is that auto, I, I'm not going to say it's forced socialization, because I think to your, the way you put it is it's more automatic Yeah, socialization and socialization begets socialization. You're there, people are doing, they're going to Braves games or they're going to, again, conferences. And then that interaction then begets more interaction. Hey, let's go play golf. Hey, we're already here. And if you don't show
2: up, somebody's actually going to care and they're going to find out why didn't you show up?
1: so we miss the the community not the commute how about it's here's the other thing you, you said the, the word purpose I've talked for a lot of years around statistically to for retirees to end up in the happy retiree camp they've got to have more they have they average 3.6 or we'll call it four core pursuits I core pursuits in our book here is hobbies on steroids. Yeah. And I and I got a, a long email from a listener that said, "Hey Wes, I feel like you give you make it you you give us too much pressure. That's a good point. You you, you say you need all these core pursuits and you need to be passionate about these core pursuits. And he didn't mention pat, purpose, but let's throw that in too. He goes, look, I, I goes my only real passion is my wife. He goes, I play golf twice a week. I I, I play guitar every day. I watch college football. I love to." grill on the big green egg, which by the way, they sell those at Ace Hardware. Yes, they do. And that's, that'd be, it'd be fun to sell the B, green, green, I'd sell a big green egg every day. If I were every day, at least one would be my goal at, at Ace Hardware. <laughs> so he's saying, Wes, you're giving me a little too much pressure. You know, I, I, do I really need to build a, a, a write a book, build a podcast, have another great job? And I actually, I responded it by saying, look, I don't want to, I don't want to make any of this with there shouldn't be pressure packed. it's not a competition and 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 I think my question to you is around if somebody's going to back to work have they really just not ha- do they not have enough core pursuits Have they not put enough energy into that or is working part
2: time is maybe that's a core pursuit too oh, well that's the, that's I think it's more that that is a core pursuit, because for the people who are going to be doing it, um, there's some sort of pleasure that they get at exercising their skills in a work environment, right? Um, and that's, again, why it's, it's it's important that, and this is why, one of the reasons why I think self-employment hey, is such a big part. You know, the most, uh, the largest percentage of people who are self-employed are 65 years and older. And you know, a lot of the reason has to be you got some control over your schedule. You got some knowledge and experience. I'm not talking about self-employment where you're trying to become a master of the universe, where you're trying to write uh, the novel that's going to get you on the the New York Times bestseller list. But you know, some people, you know, some things, you're 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 able to provide a service. You know, you feel good about yourself. You feel good about the product that that you're giving. But I think you know, purpose really it's simply what is it that gets you up in the morning that is bigger than you are and bigger than your needs and bigger than your wants that you know attaches you to the broader society and so for many people you know we're all most people i think everybody is multidimensional and so you may have a multi-purpose life where you're doing a little bit of work you're doing as you mentioned some hobbies you might have some travel or family time. I mean, and part there is this pressure. Okay, what is my purpose? How do I find my purpose? And I think you just you 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 uh, the the person that emailed you was right. I mean, okay, let let's relax here for a moment, but you do want to have something of an experimental mindset, and try out a bunch of stuff and see what really starts grabbing your interest and what really you know, gets you up in the morning to say, Hey, I want to, I want to go back and do this again. Um, and part of it uh, that I'd recommend in terms of how to find what it is you want to do, you know, the most valuable asset of any of your listeners is their network. And, you know, it's a word a lot of people don't like, but this is basically Your friends, your family, your extended family, uh, your colleagues that you've known over the years, the people that you've admired over the years, maybe meeting at church or temple. And, you know, talk to your network and say, hey, what do you think I'd be good at doing? You know, I kind of, you know, and the thing is they know you. They also know you, and that means they also have good ideas. You may think that you are this empathetic person, and you should put yourself in this empathetic situation, and they're going to go, look, hey, empathy is not a word that I'm going to use around you, but competent or some other word, you know, so they'll help you figure it out because one of the hardest things about making this transition, whether you're working or not working, is separating yourself from your job title, separating yourself Mm. from your career, but what is your skill? And they'll help you do that. And then the thing what your your network will help you do is then they'll make those introductions. And those introductions, they're not going to come through an algorithm. They're not going to come through online. But yeah. they're going to make that introduction. And let's say it doesn't work out. This isn't that interesting to me. But here's the thing. You've now met a few more people. And you might have met something that someone's doing that you kind of go, ooh, I, I wonder about that. So I think this is... It's an exciting period of life. It's a period of opportunities. And a lot of what the unretirement movement is really about is just saying, look, um, you now have 2,500 hours a year that you used to go to work, including, you know, that was your work time. It's now free with you. This is an incredible opportunity. And what are you going to do? How are you going to see, what are you going to take advantage of those opportunities? And then you but you do want to have that sense of purpose. Cause I don't know about you, but as you can see, I have white hair. And one of the things that's really wonderful is that, you know, I've reached a stage where, you know, a young college graduate will reach out and say, can I just have a informational interview? And they know what a job is, but what is a career? All right. And these are wonderful conversations. You talk about, you know, and the thing is they're idealistic. I'm sure you've had these conversations, you know, they're idealistic. Yeah. They want to do something yeah. that they feel proud about. They want to do something that makes this world a better place. And I think this is terrific. Now you have that conversation with a 60 something. It's the exact yeah. same conversation. It's about, Hey, I want to do something that makes a difference. I want to do something that makes, you know, that I think is going to make me feel good. The only difference between the 20 something and the 60 something is the 20-something thinks time is infinity, and the 60-something, okay, I know it's a little bit shorter.
1: The S&P 500 fell nearly 20% in 2022. Inflation jumped to double digits, and the Fed has continued to relentlessly raise interest rates. It feels like chaos. But at Capital Investment Advisors, we take a disciplined approach to investing to help our clients find happiness in retirement, regardless of the scary headlines. We can't control the chaos, but we can control what we do about it. If you'd like help with your disciplined retirement strategy, reach out to our team at YourWealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R
2: Wealth.com.
1: Kind of a fascinating statistic that we've, we've never talked about here on the show, which is the highest percentage of entrepreneurs are in the 65-plus category. I guess that goes back to your point around the knowledge base, right? That's is right. That somebody who's, who's already mid-60s, they really they have a lot to offer. And you know, to some extent, I, I'm thinking about this. So economically, if you've got this tight labor market that we've been in for now for a long time, Way more vacancies, you know, way more open jobs and people looking. And the biggest group that retired a little early is the, also the group that has the biggest knowledge set. Yeah. So some of it is, I guess I wonder how much is it, it, of this gravitational pull back in, like, hey, your network saying, hey, we could really use you, or why don't you come back here, or why don't you come work over here? Is that a, another variable you've seen? There's just some real demand. For knowledge, come back
2: back to the labor force. So ageism is real and, you know, it is widespread. Um, The tight labor market leans against ageism. It just really Mm -hmm. does. And, you know, this is now a state we are now, unless there's some dramatic change in uh, birth rates or dramatic change in immigration, you know, we're now in a stage where uh, the workforce is going to be older, and so, managements are starting to adjust way too slowly. But I do think there is, um, I think there has been a shift that managers are more, as they walk past an older worker, are not saying, I wonder when that person is going to retire. They're saying to themselves, I wonder how we can retain this person a little bit longer. Because, as yep. you mentioned, the skills and the knowledge. So, that's really going on. It's still harder. If you lose your job or you leave your job and then you want to find another job, right? There, you still, that hiring barrier is there. But that's why people often do something very different. So you go work at an Ace very Hardware different. because that's fun for you. And it's also the Ace Hardware. They're going to love to have you. Um, or you. that's where you figure, figure out your skills. I, uh, years ago, I interviewed um, a woman who had been a nurse, 60 years old, she was burned out, and she wanted to be outdoors. And what she eventually landed on was she ended up working as an EMT in one of the national parks. Now, you, wouldn't have, you know, <laughs> cool. one of the things that I really want to emphasize here is people underestimate how creative people can be when it comes to doing something. You know, because we all tend to be very narrow minded. You know, if you, if you if you ask me, I'll talk about journalism and I'll talk about things that are related to journalism and other people, depending on what their job, they'll have the same thing. But the thing is, people come up with really creative ideas. They need to separate themselves from their job. They need to separate themselves from their career. But that's part of this be having purpose, being engaged, finding meaning, and having a little bit of fun. Some of it w- might bring in an income. Some of it is volunteer. Some of it is with your grandchildren. Some of it with your passions. So you create this mosaic, this portfolio of different activities. And um, I think that's an exciting thing to contemplate.
1: How about ageism? I do want to cover that. You've talked a lot about this. And... um I guess I have seen some of that, right? Somebody who's in their early 60s, and they they maybe lose their job, they get laid off, and it is a little harder to get back into the labor force. What are the realities of that right now?
2: So the reality ageism is just is there. So how many uh, people have been in a meeting where someone goes, oh, oh, what's that person's name? I'm having a senior moment, right now. That's mm-hmm. just sort of, or the assumption of, you know, we got a problem. We got to figure out how we're going to adapt our technology. Uh, let's get a bunch of 30 year olds in the room because, uh, you know, they're the ones that are going to be adept at it. But if you think about it with technology, with uh, just looking at my career, so initially I was a merchant seaman, but my first office job, uh, I had an IBM Selectric, and if you didn't hit the enter button, you could erase a line without using whiteout. But then you go from IBM Selectric to dedicated word processor to the PC, you know, to uh, the tablet, to the smart. I mean, people have adopted so often. And one of the things that came that very clear during the pandemic, and there's not, almost nothing good to say about the pandemic, right? Nothing. But... What happened is you go you would assisted living centers. Everybody was using Zoom, no problem. Mm-hmm. People were ordering their groceries online. Uh, there was a f- fascinating uh, report out by the uh, the trade group for the grocery industry. They didn't market to the sixty and over because they figured they were technologically illiterate for their online sales. And during part of that pandemic, a big chunk of their sales, I think a majority of their sales, if I remember right, uh, were the sixty plus market. So there's still a lot of prejudice out there, but nothing leans against prejudice as much as the tight labor market. And then yeah. you have to sort of look at, get past that. So I think we are moving in that right direction. We're not there yet. Um, it's back. It's in, you know, people have these rules of thumb. I mean, think about, uh, trying to get a job as a janitor. You'd be looking at jobs and they'd be asking for a master's degree two decades ago. Hey, you know, you want to be a janitor? You have to have a, not not just a BA, but hey, here, have a master's degree. Why were they doing it? Because there's a line of people out the door and you could get away with it. Today, oh. there's not a line of people out your door.
1: Right. There's like a half a person looking for the job that you're trying to fill. Right. That's the, that's the, the very different labor market. I love the idea of you know, you got twenty five hundred hours to fill. Are you going to really do it all with these hobbies on steroids? I think you can, but one or two of them can be hobby income, part time work, yeah. and 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 it's and it's exciting to think about that. The other financial part of this, of course, is delaying using the money you've saved. Yes, right. That's right. Maybe delaying Social Security so it's a higher level. I guess my question would be: there is still a great fear. I just had a meeting this week with some young 60 year olds mm-hmm. young 61 62 and they are they just sold a business they're, they're 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 officially in their mind stopped work and they're in their sense retired and they are very much of the thought that hey we we really want to take social security right away or now right. and i i said look i let's go through some of the math here i just you don't it's probably better for you guys to wait or at least one of you to wait for a while and we went through the spousal benefit if something happens to one of them and how that can get impacted. So, but their their thought is hey, Social Security's running out. I wanna take it where I can get it. One, and two, hey, what if we pass away early? I wanna take it as soon as I can. That is a very pervasive thought still in America, whether it's true or not and 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 you have you've done a lot of work around this uh, tell us about your thought around the social security system because you just mentioned the statistic that we're going to ha- we're going to have more 65 plus yeah. than younger folks
2: pretty soon so a couple of things and and just interrupt if I start going on on too long but part of it is a framing of the social security question cuz right now the standard conversation is you can file for social security as early as age 62 and then you can go all the way up to age 70 And what I would like people to do is say, you file for Social Security at age 70. That's when you get your maximum benefit. But you may have health issues. You may be taking care. You may have to leave your job to take care of aging parents. Um, You may be finding it hard to get a job and you're entering the ranks of the long-term unemployed. Uh, There just can be a variety of reasons why you might want to file at 64, at 62, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but you want to make a rational tr- decision and understand your trade-offs. And for people like the people you were talking to, I mean, they have a fair amount of money because they just sold their business. I mean, there's a yeah. there's a financial um, support there for the for the typical worker who owns their own home, maybe has a little bit of money in a 401k. When you take Social Security is an incredibly important decision because it really does impact your finances. And the thing about Social Security is you can't outlive the benefit. And I know people really love the fact that you can tap into early, but you also at the same time have this odd conversation of so many people being afraid of running out of money. Because that's one of the risks with a four hundred one k plan uh, or a four hundred three b plan. It's inherent in 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 that product. You can't outlive Social Security, and it is the only big annuity that's out there that adjusts for the changes in the cost of living for increases in the cost of living. So, if people take it at sixty two who have resources, it's not a disaster. But I sure. do think yep. in terms a great of, point. but thinking, but if you are married, are you making the best decision for your spouse over the rest of your lifetime, which at some point, one of you probably is going to live without the other. Right.
1: Well, and then what about the running out of social security? I mean, I, again, I, I have pretty strong opinions that it's not. It's not. It's not running out, and right. will, you'll get most of it. And you're, particularly if you're already fifty-five plus. I just. I think that's important to frame that. It is
2: important. I mean, if it, when you look at all the proposals that ever, ever that are ever being made, if you make a change is for fifty-five and older are protected, to be fifty-five and under who are going to have the change. But here's the thing, you know, as you know. Forecasting is a hazard is hazardous to your wealth. Forecasting is a hazardous business, but I think this is the safest forecast that I can ever make. Social security is going to be there for the younger generation. And the reason is half of all households get half of their income who are retirees, half their income from social security, depending on whose numbers you're looking at, but it's almost like a, you know, you know, a smaller percentage, but for some people it's like 90% of their income. And, the polling Pew Research Center did a poll uh, a while back, you know, 90 uh, percent of uh, people lean Democratic. They want no changes to Social Security or it increased 85 percent of Republicans, no change to Social Security or increased. So you have these think tanks and you have some uh, people who are joshing around and saying we can't afford this anymore. Wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Social Security is that social insurance that has made such a difference in so many people's lives. So we may not come up with a compromise that funds Social Security until 2034 or 2033. That, that is a risk, and that's terrible. Should not happen. People shouldn't have to be You shouldn't have to ask the question that you're asking. I shouldn't have to be answering the question that, that you asked. But that is the reality we have. But in the, at the end of the day, Social security will be there unless we come up with something much, much better. But for right now,
1: social nobody security- ever talks about it that way. Chris, that's a really good. So the, I think that the other great what I'm learning from you, too, is just how important framing is. Yeah. I've never really thought about saying, hey, you take social security at 70, but you could, if you need to take it at 64, 63, 62. That's a total. Our industry doesn't do that. Our industry, at the most, will say, "Well, you're really making a huge mistake if you don't take it at 70." Right. But right. I, I just like your framing. It's like, yeah, you, you can take it at 70, and and I think you're also right. The the more your resources are, the less bad it would be to take it a, to take it early. Take
2: it yeah. And there's. Pl- yeah. I mean, you think about most of the customers in the financial services industry, you know, the ones who have uh, registered investment advisors, certified financial planners, um, you know, they're pretty well off. Yeah. A million, they usually have a million yeah. a, a plus. Right. So it's yeah. not as critical. It is still a I, The reason why I think it's still a critical decision is because it is longevity insurance. And yeah. you really can't get longevity insurance out there except for Social Security.
1: And it's also a bigger number than people give it credit yeah. for. I, you know, looking at the, the same conversation, we were looking at two Social Security statements, and it's so common. I'd say it's more, much more common than not for someone to say, oh, well, social, I'm not i am not counting on Social Security. Dismissing it, one, they may think, not think it's going to be there. Two, it's not that much. And, and you look at it and you go, you say, you Okay, it's twenty two hundred. That's not nothing. No. And if you wait and you wait and you wait and, and oh, wait a minute, it's seventy. It's four thousand a month, and that's for one person. One person. What do you don't, don't tell me that's not something. <laughs> I don't care. You could have a million or two million dollars. It's that's still, still something. a lot of money. Yes, exactly. That's still something. Yeah. So let's not discount Social Security. you had mentioned this earlier this thought of creative decline is kind of a misnomer we 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 don't get less creative or we shouldn't and two what are just practically the kind of jobs you're seeing people get and 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 just some ideas for folks because yeah people will literally they'll say hey what do i do what what, what if i'm not going to do my xyz career i was a analyst or, or a, a software implementation of airline industry and I don't want to do that anymore. But I don't know what else to
2: do. So what do you, what kind of things are you seeing people go do? So uh they're doing all kinds of things. A lot of it is in the non is in the it's in the, the service sector, right? Which makes a lot of sense. Um and if if it's outdoors, it's gonna be things like working in the national parks, uh, volunteering in the national parks, or actually working in in, in the national parks. I know a, a gentleman who worked for a long time uh, in Boston in public media, and then he moved out uh, west and he became an employee of, of the National Park Service in one of the national parks. So, that you know, that's the kind of thing that people will do. Um People will. Someone who say has a facility with math might become a tutor and helping young no. people learn their learn their math. Um, I've, I'd like to see more of this, and I have a suspicion there's more of it going on than I'm aware of. But I know people who have started a business, and these are businesses where they want to scale up. So these and these are younger people. They're ambitious, and but the um, their accountant is a retired accountant. And he or she will work a couple of hours a week, but they're great. The office manager uh, is a retired office manager, works a couple, a lot, you know, they hire a number of retirees. No one's working full time, but they all have, but they don't need any monitoring. They don't need any, mm-hmm. you know, beyond what what you would say, you know, in in a normal business about communicating. Um, but everyone's kind of like there together. They're kind of all having fun. They will hope that this business is going to grow. One word, if there's a mantra that I would use when you're thinking about what else do you want to be doing, use to put the word intergenerational in there. And Ooh. you want to you want to S- explain opportunity. Explain
1: intergenerational. So
2: intergenerational is young people. These are younger adults. You want to put yourself in a situation where you're working with younger adults and where they want to be working with you because the United States, among the the major industrialized nations, is the most age-segregated society. And, you know, we really have set up a lot of communities where you have to be 55-plus to live there, mm-hmm. right? And you don't want the kids to be living there. They can't. They can visit. The grandkids can visit, but they can't live there. Uh, and... It's a hor- it's a terrible mistake because we have so much knowledge and experience to share with the young people, but we learn from the young people at the same time, and that's really fun. And um, as a total aside, when you're looking at studies that look into productivity in companies, they have and you know all companies now of a certain size, everyone's working in teams, right? I mean, it's it's sort of a team based organization. What they have found is the most productive units are multi-generational teams. And it makes absolutely sense. Whether you're on a manufacturing floor or you're in a giant insurance company, it's the same results. So I think for, from a, uh, you had mentioned earlier, you know, but what am I doing? You know, purpose, what does that mean? You know, I think you get so much from helping out the younger generation. But, you know, if you're depressed, if you're, if you're upset about society, where we're going, which is not that hard to to have those moments, right? Yeah. Spend a day.
1: Everyone has those moments, Spend yeah. a day
2: on the college campus. Wander around the college campus. Step into a couple of classrooms. You cannot, this is my, you cannot be depressed after you've been around a college campus for a day because there's so much energy, there's so much desire to make the world a better place, there's so much curiosity that's going on, and so... Intergener be putting yourself in an intergenerational environment. I think is good for society, and I think it's also good for your mental and physical health.
1: You know, one of the businesses I've uh, started seven years ago or so is is the the hires have been pretty darn young, uh, and they're super smart and super ambitious and super right. hardworking, right? Uh, but one of the the and this was kind of just luck. This was kind of a lucky strike. One of the clients of this firm um, happens to be uh, – had run a, something within fa- financial services, different investment, let's call it vain. But after he was a client for about two years, he liked the company so much, he ended up working there. And you've got the average age, it's like 35, and then he's 65 and now he's he he's a huge part of that company now, and yeah. absolutely doesn't need to work. But they 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 love his direction and their mentorship. Yeah, and that's a it's a great intergenerational example that just that, that we kind of lucked out with that. But that's a really nice mix.
2: And so to give you some other ideas, you would mentioned the Ace Hardware, which I really like, and I've written about this. Think about what it is you like to do. I mean, what is you mentioned hobbies or your passion? So, um, and then think about the stores or the. The, the, the companies that you do business with and walk over and say, hey, you know, I, I'm really patched. They'll know who you are, by the way. And you walk in, you say, hey, you know, are you looking for part time work? Uh, I'm interested in, in doing that. Um, and then. I've known people who just sort of have have done. There was a, a woman that I interviewed, thirty years in the construction industry, and she was on the circuit for her company giving talks about sustainability to construction companies. And after about thirty years, she was, she was like, "Oh, you know, I can't take another airport. I just and I can't take another hotel basement. I mean, I'm just." And yep, she loved. So it she had nothing to do. And a lot of times, it has nothing to do with a bad company or bad employee. She just was like good company good pay every and i love sustainability but i just can't so you know she she went to school at the university of minnesota sort of mid career transition program and what she ended up deciding to do is she went to work in the airline industry And she works at an airport and she's the problem solver. So when there's a problem at a gate and people are getting irate, she's the person that comes comes up and she helps solve the problem. And she said she's working with the most diverse workforce that she's ever worked with. She absolutely loves it. Um, And... It's sort of – she she's very comfortable, but it draws on a lot of her skills. But as she told me, she said, if you had told her that she was going to make a career change into the airline industry, what are you talking about? But it sort of came about as, as she was doing some introspection and taking these classes and talking to other people. And she went to her advisor and said, this is what I'm thinking about. And the advisor said, go for it.
1: So I'm sitting here thinking about – some creative fun jobs. Okay. That I'm, what would I do? And trying to think across the board here for a second. And here's what I just came up with as we're talking. One, let's say I'm totally, totally retired. I'm not doing, well, I would probably still do the retire sooner podcast.
2: I was just going to say, So,
1: let's say I'm totally quote retired and I'm just, I'm just managing my own, just my money, not anybody else's. Right. I could, one, go the golf route. I'm not good enough to teach golf, but I could be a golf caddy. Mm-hmm. And I'd probably be a caddy in one of those European golf courses. Like I'd go, to, I'd go to the United Kingdom and be a caddy on the Irish Sea on one of those courses. Two, I'd be a piano teacher. Three, I'd be a snowboard instructor. There you go. Four, I would be a Michigan travel guide. Oh, have you ever been to? What well, you're in yeah. Minnesota? Yeah,
2: you mean like the Upper Peninsula, you know
1: Michigan? Yeah. Well, no, regular Michigan. Yeah, I think it'd be it's great. The most un, it's the most underrated state in the United States. It is Michigan. Is. It really is it's very underrated. So off your Remember? off your list, you'd mentioned on the on the and I got three more, but I'm going to leave it okay. at just those the
2: snowboarding. So I interviewed a, a gentleman, and he had a he had a career. Um, traveling the country and also started your big machinery, involving big machinery. But he um, had a skill, which is that he knows how to wax skis. So retired to Utah, and for the competitive skis, ski racers, he is the one that at that, when I interviewed him, I, th- I think it's probably past now, but you know, he he waxed the skis because he was really good at it and he loved it. And it was a part-time job, but he was passionate about it. He loved, and of course, he loved to ski. And so he also got in a lot of skiing. So again, you know, your list is That's very, cool. very yeah. illustrative. And then the thing is, okay, so you come up with a list like that. Now you start talking to your network. What do you think? What other ideas do you have? And, um, you know, you'll get some feedback and they'll say, snowboarding? Are you serious? Really? I've seen you on a snowboard. (laughs) I'm just making that up completely. (laughs) I have no idea. But, you know, but you know what I mean? But that, you know, then you got then you can have these conversations. And the fun thing about talking to your network about it is they're going to be asking you what I think I might want to do this. What do you think? And you do you have any insight into this? which is so cool because then you're in a community and you're connecting and you're helping each other out.
1: It is funny. I think about, I remember uh, last year, I was uh, in Colorado snowboarding and there was one of these mid mountain gathering areas with like a, you could get some food Mm. and you could also get, there was a bar. It was just, and there was all these, there was families and kids running all over the place. And in the middle of all that was a little tent outside where there was someone waxing skis and snowboards right in the middle of everybody. And I thought, what a cool, it was like, it yeah. was, it wasn't a separate shop. It was just a tent set up just for mid mountain waxing. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a cool, looks kind of like a cool job. Yeah. So let, let me ask you, Chris, about time. And do we underestimate, overestimate? I've just read an article this week that the biggest mistake of retirement planning is not planning on long time longevity. You you write about that. I know I've heard you talk about that. Tell us about the importance of time and how people do maybe
2: underestimate it. So there's two ways of looking at time. So one is. The 2,500 hours that I mentioned—that comes from uh, Joe Casey. He's a executive coach. Um, what do you want to do with your time? Time is your most important asset. How do you want to invest your time? How do you want to spend your time? And I think it's really important to think about time that way because time is the scarce resource, and that's why you know it's so important. And 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 I'm sure you've heard this. It's so important to actually as to, in this stage of life, it's not just important to know what you want to do, but what you don't want to do, what you want to say no to. You know, every entrepreneur I've ever talked to has said that the most uh, important skill that they ever learned was how to say no, which is hard for entrepreneurs because they always want to solve a problem. Uh, but then in terms of time...
1: I just winked at my producer, Mallory, <laughs> and just said, do you hear that? No. <laughs> answer's no. No. No you are not
2: doing that. You're talking about a different time, which is: Am I going to outlive my assets? Am I going to not? Do I have to worry about it? You know, how do I think about how long am I going to live? And do we underestimate that? Well, in one sense, we do because if you look at when people file for Social Security, um, I think a number of people are sort of anticipating that they're not going to be around very long, so they might as well take it now, and they could easily outlive that. But I've also struggled with this. um, And I was just listening to something the other day where everyone's saying, how do you live off your accumulated savings over 30 years? And I'm like, who can live off their accumulated savings over 30 years? I mean, you worked for 30 years and then you're going to live off your savings for 30 years? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. You know, is that really realistic there? So with time, what I think you have to do you can you can just sort you can look at the Social Security actu- actuarial tables, and I think for you know a sixty-five year old you lived you know on average to what eighty-four. You might know the actual number, but you look it up. It's around that range, and then you think about your family history. Uh, yeah. and your family history is really important. And actually one of the better things, the younger generation, they're going to actually going to have better family histories to be able to look back at when, uh, I had cancer and, you know, the doctor said, well, is there a family history of cancer? You know, we just said, well, they died in barroom fights or they died of heart failure and no one actually knew why they died. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, so everyone just put heart failure on there. It's going to be a different world uh, going forward. But I think, um, this is one of the hardest things to deal with because it's uncertain. It is by definition uncertain yet. We have a retirement saving system that, um, really leaves that calculation up to you. I mean, it was one of the benefits of the pension system, right? You still got a paycheck until you died. Now you have to make your own paycheck. So I say look at the actual tables, look at your family history, and um, and then basically really do financial planning. You know, do your retirement planning. Um, But the odds are, the odds are you're going to, if you have retirement savings, Okay. So that's the, the key there. If you do have retirement savings, the odds are you're going to underspend, not overspend.
1: That's a really good point. That re- the reality is we think we're going to run out because we're going to spend too much. And, and I do see people that spend less than they than they thought. The the other thing, Chris, is that we do have this just same human emotion that feels the pain of loss for X than the yeah. joy of gain is the same when it comes to looking around us and we say, for every one person that retired at 65 and died at 67, which are this terribly sad stories, but we do hear them. Yeah. For every one of those, there are, I don't know, three to five to seven people living a lot longer than they maybe thought. Yeah. But you just, they don't hit you. That doesn't hit home, like the shock of, ah, oh, I just retired and somebody... Right, that, yeah. that didn't get to live the life they wanted. This is something I hadn't thought to ask you, but this is really just more advice to me in our industry. What profession, and is there one, helps if you've got three, five, eight million people in America that are sixty plus trying to figure out core some sort of hobbies on steroids, core pursuits beyond, let's say, part-time work. Yeah. Is there what is the profession that that helps people with that? Is that a is that a life coach or a business coach or what is you know you know who
2: actually helps with that? There's the the growing business of retirement coaches, and that's one of the things that they're why that business is growing, uh, why it's becoming more professional. So there are the retirement coaches, and the retirement coach, it's not a financial planner. They're doing more of a holistic – a lot of them are former financial planners, but they're, they're not yep. doing financial planning. Uh, so they're trying to do a more holistic approach, how to get the most out of, your, out of this next stage of your life. So retirement coaches are doing that. I also think that um, if you live in a major metropolitan area, there'll be to your community colleges, your local colleges – your music schools, uh, you know, we have a wonderful art store, uh, independent loan art store, uh, where I live in St. Paul, all kinds of classes going on, you know, and then you kind of do your, you know, the, the, I think probably one of the biggest pieces of I always get is just just ask people questions. So if you're in one of these classes or you go to the community college, you know, just start asking people where are they getting their information, what are they doing. I've been stunned by how many people, and I think it's good. You know, we'll go on YouTube and learn how to do things, right? Um, yeah. But I do think as a profession, the retirement coaches—that's what's really moved. Trying to answer your question, it's sort of the financial planning industry was is a was a new profession um, in the post-World War II period. Right. And now I think what the retirement coaches are kind of trying to model themselves on that, you know, create a new profession as with the aging of the population and more and more people have these questions about what's next, what's my next chapter. How do I think that through?
1: Three things our listeners can do today to figure out this next stage. Maybe it's a corporate suit. Maybe it's a purpose. Maybe it's a job. Uh, as as we wrap up here today, with Chris Farrell, author of Purpose and Paycheck: Finding Meaning, Money, Happiness in the Second Half of Life,
2: three things. One, okay, these are going to be targeted to people who are near retirement, okay, nearing nearing those where the where the whole conversation is more uh, realistic. So, if you're a 20 or 30 year old, you know a lot of this is safe. You don't know what retirement is going to be, but you know you have to say. But let's say you're sort of nearing that retirement. One, take five minutes a day, five minutes a day, to write something down about what you think you'd like to do next. You know, because introspection, boy, it's hard. To find time for introspection, right? I mean, we're all busy. You got friends, family. You got to keep on technology. You got to vote. Uh, you have to exercise. <laughs> you have to eat right. I mean, there's all kinds of things we got to do. So, introspection is hard. But take five minutes a day. And the Steve Jobs in his wonderful commencement commencement address that he did at Stanford back in 2005, he said, you know, you can only connect the dots looking back. So take five minutes a day to start connecting those dots. By the way, this is not literature. No one's going to read it. No one cares about the grammar. It's just about five minutes a day to think about what it is you want to do next. And second, you know, I'm repeating myself here. But, you know, really start reaching out to your network, to people, you know, Start that conversation, and particularly uh if, if if you're married, you know start that conversation with your partner to make sure that you know you're you're on this on the same page, and then I think the other thing is, yes, start thinking about what gives you meaning i mean what real I mean what really matters to you not what does not what you think should matter, not what I think should matter, but what is it that really does matter to you and Think about that very seriously. Take your time. Because, you know, retirement planning, rightfully, I mean, retirement planning deals a lot with finances, right? That's yeah, that's what we're always saying, retirement planning. I'm saying you build, this is retirement planning, but it's a very different, it's about what I want to do next. So uh, write some things down, talk to your network, and think about meaning. Think about what it is that's really important to you. And then... Build a life around those three things.
1: You know, and I'd love to hear from our audience as well, you know, in, in response to, to Chris's book and this thought around, we we also, we've interviewed Nancy Colomer and, and oh, she's great. Yeah. Yeah, Nancy's great. Second act careers. The there's, we've had a lot of guests around the, we, we have, we've had a few guests around this space and I, and I really do love to hear from our audience and I don't think I ask about that. Uh, often enough, but as I've gotten more and more mail, email, whether, whether it's, hey, Wes, you're putting too much pressure on me with my core pursuits, calm down, uh, or how how you, as a listener of the Retire Sooner podcast, have utilized Chris's advice, his book, Nancy's advice, her book, and and really thought through this next phase with some introspection, as Chris talks about thinking of this through over the course of three months, six months, a year, maybe it's been a couple of years before you decide to go back to work for one of many reasons, perhaps. And I'd love to hear about that journey. What did you figure out? What was your next move? Is it totally different? And I, those are, those are fun to think. Lawyer that ended up as a barista at Starbucks because I always loved coffee or someone that did went from sales in one area to, part-time sales on another, all of those stories, they really interest me. And and I'd love to hear those here uh, from our audience here on the retire sooner podcast. But with, with that, Chris, uh, you are one of the very best in your field and um, thank, you. thank you for, for being here and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. So thanks for being here. Man. Ah, thanks a lot. It's really been fun. I
2: really enjoyed it.
0: This information is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no guaranteed offer that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. Stock prices fluctuate, sometimes rapidly and dramatically, due to factors affecting individual companies, particular industries or sectors, or general market conditions. For stocks paying dividends, dividends are not guaranteed and can increase, decrease, or be eliminated without notice. Fixed income securities involve interest rate, credit, inflation, and reinvestment risks and possible loss of principal. As interest rates rise, the value of fixed income securities falls. Past performance is not indicative of future results when considering any investment vehicle. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. Investment decisions should not be based solely on information contained here. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. The information contained here is strictly an opinion and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. The views and opinions expressed are for educational purposes only as of the date of production and may change without notice at any time based on numerous factors such as market and other conditions.